Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. Processes and tools dominate today's Agile discussions, but we are devoted to the individuals and interactions that make it work. From the beginner to the veteran practitioner, we have something for you. Welcome to Agile for Humans. Welcome to Agile for Humans. I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. You guys know the drill. We bring amazing people together to talk about cool ideas in the Agile community. We're almost at show 100. We've been doing this for three or four years now. You know that we examine the current Agile tips and practices. We're trying to help you become an Agile leader in your organization. To help us out, please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, subscribe on Patreon at ryanripley.com. And as always, thank you for supporting the show. Your support allows us to bring great people like our two guests tonight onto the show to bring these insights forward and to help the Agile community. We have multiple subscriber levels, a lot of stuff going on on the Patreon, a lot of stuff on the site. Check it out. As always, we're taking your questions and comments. Uh, email ryan at ryanripley.com. Leave a comment at, uh, on, the, on the show post. Uh, happy to get back and answer it. And uh, just thank you, as always, for the support and for sharing the show. Joining me tonight, of course, everyone remembers many of the episodes we've had with Esther Derby. Esther, how are you tonight? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm excellent. It's Esther, when you join us, I'm always happy. So thank you for being here. Yeah, me too. And of course, yeah, my, me and my and my dog. I can so hear if there's the, barking, it's it's the dog. I love it. The <laughs> oh, snoring in the background. Now she's snoring. Oh, sorry. It's, it's, it's okay. It makes the show more authentic. <laughs> and, it's always, and, and of course, joining us also, my partner in crime, Faye Thompson, Faye. I think we just, uh, by the time this gets out, people will probably know that we did a keynote in Vegas together, had a great time doing that. Yay! Lots of good feedback. We're finally on that keynote track. And uh, again, it worked in Africa, it worked in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where you go from there. I don't, I don't it know. It also worked in Louisville. It also worked, yeah, worked Louisville, in Louisville too. No, it, it worked <laughs> great at Cotapalooza. We, we had a lot of fun keynoting there. We just did Vegas. Last year was Africa. Who knows what's next, but always great to well, see my, my so, partner in crime. So, 
where do you want to speak next, next? And we can kind of put out the word here and see if someone in the audience would invite you. So what city sounds appealing? Oh, that's fun. Let's see. Um, I So my dream one, and then Faye, you tell me what you think of this. I would love to keynote in London. Oh, absolutely. Um, you and I haven't talked about this much, but that's kind of like my... I feel like that's my home away from home. I've lived there a couple of times. I went to school there for a little while. So I welcome any opportunity to get back there. Wait, weren't you, okay. weren't you a sheep London herder? London listeners. London listeners. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I did work on a sheep farm. Not in London. On, uh, along the English Channel. I was uh, a sheep herder, as it were. Yeah, so that's our shameless yeah. plug. So for the European listeners yeah. out there, contact your <laughs> London-based... Uh, Agilist and conference organizers, let them know that Faye and I have a pretty cool keynote, and uh, we'll see if we can make it over there. So, but tonight, tonight the topic, and this is a topic that I'm, I just, I love this, this idea, this whole learning to learn, and how do you learn, and what makes learning effective, and all that stuff. Esther, can you help us out with by teeing this up? Sure. Um, I spent the first two weeks of June in Ohio at an art class. I've spent my entire professional career in software, so this was uh, rather a departure, and I was very, very interested to um, observe my own process and and to think about it in terms of empathy for my clients and for the people we work with, who are you know in organizations used to working in a in a particular way, and then here we come and we want to talk about agile and we want to talk about complexity and. And so it was really interesting to uh, put myself in the position of being a beginner and, you know, sometimes uh, hearing the English words, but having no idea what the concept was. That's how we got started talking about this, uh, not only because it was Central Ohio, but just on the topic of learning and what does it mean to learn? I had been having conversations uh, with my current client about limited training budgets and then what does that mean for professional development among their team members and so we talked we've been talking a lot at work about what it what learning actually looks like and that's actually led to some additional research and a talk that I'm giving later this year um, a couple of times uh, Cincinnati Day of Agile and uh, Agile 2018 along these lines of just what does learning look like and how can we accomplish it? So then as Esther was progressing through her experience, a lot of this sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, the good news is that a lot of learning takes place outside of training classes and um, training classes, um, you know, address one aspect of learning. You know, and there's there's so so much more um, involved in terms of I think reorganizing the way you understand words and concepts, and um, you know just uh, ha- having to reconstruct or construct an entirely different. Um, set of relationships and understandings in your brain. Yeah, I love that. And, um, you know, Esther, you're, I think you and, and Don are excellent at this in your coaching beyond the team workshop where, you know, I had to learn, like I'm still learning. I'm not classically trained as a coach, 
And so I'm always very hesitant to accept the title of Agile Coach because I don't think mm-hmm. I'm... I believe I know a lot about Scrum. And I think as a, as a professional Scrum trainer with Scrum.org, I've earned that as far as being able to say I know a few things about Scrum. But when it comes to coaching, I typically reject the Agile Coaching title because I don't know it yet. But what I liked about your coaching beyond the team, I think that was a good first step for me is because the two of you were able to rewire my brain a bit in that whenever I'm walking into a situation, whether it's with family or with a client or with my wife or with my kids, the center enter turn. And the fact that my brain now says, Ryan, have you centered yourself yet? (laughs) And, and so that was a really cool, the way that you've distilled that and you've made it experiential, but you also gave us time to reflect, but you also Mm -hmm. gave us theory I think hitting all those different ways of learning helped. And, and plus, I mean, it, the learner has to internalize as well, right? We have to make an, an yeah. effort. But I think the way that, um, that you and Don have been able to structure that kind of learning to kind of hit all the different ways people learn yeah. has been really fascinating to watch as it's kind of changed the way that mm. they've approached people. Oh, interesting. Well, you know, Don and I both studied with the master. We studied with Jerry Weinberg, so greatly influenced by his ideas about learning. Um, But, you know, it's interesting you you bring up center, enter, turn. And I I think in some ways that described my my experience over and over and over again during those two weeks. And I was... was, um, um, Studying with Nancy Crow, who is one of the um, premier quilters. She's known as an artist, and quilts are her medium, right? So she's really an artist. But so there's a certain level of technical skills there. You have to be able to, you know, sew a quarter inch seam and cut by eye, and and with uh, with a rotary cutter and all sorts of stuff like that. But I would find myself getting some instruction, and you know, I understood the English words, and I'd feel this sort of fog. And then there was a little tendency to um, to just feel overwhelmed. And so I'd have to center myself and enter the exercise and read it again and just try something, not being very clear on the concept necessarily, but just try something in terms of, you know, a design or a color relationship or, a, 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 you know, something working with the tension and figuring ground. Um, and then I could turn, right? But first I had to deal with that little um, dip of feeling overwhelmed, of feeling like I don't understand, I'm in a fog, you know, why am I here? That kind of thing. And then I could, and then I could um, work with it. So that's interesting because that came up over and over and over again in that, in that two weeks. Yeah. I, did it get, oh, go ahead, Faye. Did it get easier as you were? Each time as you experienced that or did you find it was it became more familiar you know and and in some ways this is this is um you know this is anytime you you enter a situation with a client where you know you think you're centered and then something comes up that you weren't expected then you go through that cycle again it's like you get you get to say oh shit and then you have to center yourself and enter the system and turn so there was a lot of that oh shit and then enter the system, my own system. And, and part of that, too, is being comfortable with the idea that you just have to kind of throw your hands up sometimes and say, you know, oh, no, I, I'm in that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what I've learned, too, is that I don't get things on the first pass very often. And so, and at first that used to really frustrate me. 
that I've read something or I, someone, something was demonstrated or I've tried to learn something and on the first pass, I may not have caught it. But that time that you're spending just quiet or walking or mm-hmm. cooking dinner or playing with the kids, your brain's working on that stuff. Yeah. Right? There's this, there's a subconscious pattern that, and I had to get very comfortable with being okay with failure on the first pass because the brain's working on it. And then when I come back later to it, it seems a little easier. And it's like, wow, this was so silly. Why did I have so much trouble? But you know what? I I think that's really hard for a lot of us in our field because we were the smart kids. You know, most of us in software, we were the smart kids. And, you know, you know, we got stuff really easily and we were we got a lot of affirmation for being smart and being quick. And then when we run into something where we don't get it the first time, I I think I think that um, I I think it's hard for people emotionally if if they're, you know, if they're kind of aware of their emotions going in. But it also it also can hit on people's identity. Like, well, if I don't get this right away, does it mean I'm not smart? And I think that dynamic, uh, you know, goes on for for a lot of people. I mean, there it has gone on for me at various times in my life until I figured out what was going on. Um, But I think that's something to be aware of with all the people that we're working with, trying to introduce new ideas and new ways of doing things. Right, and if we recognize that someone's going through that we go through that ourselves or someone's experiencing that uh, questioning or self-doubt or what does it mean? Uh, did I, do I really know myself? That kind of thing. Yeah. Those things are all like they bring heightened levels of anxiety and, and fear Absolutely. and it puts us in a different uh, mindset. So under understanding that's where that empathy comes in, right? That's understanding right. that people can be going through that uh, around us and how, what, how can we react? How can we help to maybe just in the moment even make them feel safer, that everything's mm-hmm. okay, and uh, we can work through things together? Yeah, so there's, I think there's empathy for self, because we're always, I'm always at least encountering situations I've never encountered before, and I have to figure out what to do in the moment. Um, and empathy for the people we're working with, um, I think that's super important. Well, we were just talking before the show about a situation that I'm in that I've never been in before. Mm. And it's, uh, it's a huge change that, that will have huge consequences and, and implications and benefits and pros and cons. And yeah, I think we're in those a lot. And one of the things is research, right? So you want to research things. But I think the other thing that we, first of all, being okay with the fact that we're a little scared about something, I think we have to get over that. Um, in some way or another, but also it's the people that surround us. You know, Esther, we were, we were talking and, and you, you were very supportive. And, and I think mm-hmm. having people around us that make learning safe, right? And, and even having people around us who make making mistakes safe is a huge part of actually enabling that learning yeah. environment, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's not present in many corporations. <laughs> right. And I think, I think it's harder the higher you go in the organization, I, uh, right. you're, you're, I, th- I shared a little article with, with you, Faye, um, when we were talking about this called the trifecta of doom. And it had <laughs> to do with the, the, um, the forces that are in play in a lot of organizations that make it particularly risky uh, for managers 
to um, admit they don't know the answer, they don't know what to do, they don't understand the concept, they, you know, they might understand the concept, but they don't know what, uh, you know, how to carry it out, because um, there's such a high expectations that managers uh, know all the answers, you know, if you're management material, obviously, it's because you're, you know, you have this superior ability, and and so entering into that space of not knowing, um, I think again it comes to identity. It puts identity at risk here. You know, if I'm if I'm struggling, does that mean I maybe I'm not smart? Maybe I'm not management material. Yeah. And we talk a lot about how can you know in in that sort of scrum master or team coach space, how can we help team members? feel safe to experiment and try new things and fail and, and learn it from that. And because that's where the, that's where the learning happens and trying something new. So then taking what we learn and sharing it with others. And we're still struggling with that, right? How to make mm. teams feel safe, about, right. safe about doing those things. And if in uh, lack of a better term in corporate America, we don't do a great job of that yet. We sure as heck don't do a great job of that for people outside the team or above the team. We do mm-hmm. not create that kind of safe space for managers um, to try new things and fail and learn. So what can we do about that? Well, I, you know, as you were as you were talking about that and since um, Ryan brought up the workshop um, that Don Gray and I do, it's like, I, I know some people who try to make everything in their workshop perfect. Like they try to they try to have their intro be perfect. They try to have everything like, you know, orchestrated perfectly. And I don't do that. As you guys both know, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I keep some of those things a little loose and rough around the edges. And that's partly um, that's partly a message around. You don't have to be perfect, you know. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, do some small screw up in the class, and people are gonna see it, and I'm gonna recover reasonably well, and and that, in some ways, is modeling that. Yeah, it's gonna happen. As I as I've listened to you explain these things, I just a thought popped in my head, and and I'm not sure what this means, but I just I find it amazing just how much we abuse ourselves and others in the workplace. Mm-hmm. By holding ourselves to these insane standards that we have to know everything and we have to be perfect. And if someone asks us a question, we'd better give an answer rather than just saying, you know, I don't know. Uh, What do you think? I don't know. Or or I'll get back to you. Or but but just the amount of emotional and even psychological abuse that we inflict on ourselves in that situation is just profound. Well, we learn it we start learning that really, really early. Well, I guess even yeah, in school, no, what we, happens if you're asked a question by the teacher and you say you don't know, right? That's not a good thing. Right. Yeah. Humiliated in front of the whole group and maybe all the kids will laugh at you. Yeah. So that that encourages people to try things on, that's for sure. But yeah, so so that's a model that we all grew up with and it's it's very prevalent in, in a lot of organizations so i think modeling is a, is something we can do 
modeling that I don't have the answer to that. So I don't, I don't know. Well, let's figure it out. Well, and that's something that I love doing during workshops. You know, someone that I, I've gone to this format and Faye and I have co-presented this format of just taking questions from the audience and turning mm-hmm. that into a, a keynote or por- a portion of a workshop. Because quite honestly, mm-hmm. I'm sick of canned talks. I, I really am. I, I look at every canned talk that I've done. And, and if people pay me enough money or if they ask me nicely, I'll probably still do them. And I, and I am still doing some canned talks. But what I love about the fact that people are asking questions, I get the opportunity to say, I don't know, in each and every, mm-hmm. even in our keynote. We, uh, we had a situation where it was like, you know what, maybe we don't know the most about this. What do you think? And someone stood up in the audience and gave us an opinion, and, and we built off of that, and it turned into this collaborative, co-creating event, and it was better than if either one of us had just given an answer. And, right. and I think people saw that. And if there is a way to bring that forward into our work where, hey, I don't know, but I think these three people might have some interesting ideas that we can put together that will lead to an answer that's satisfying and beneficial to the company. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be cool if we could do that? I mean, those are the kind of things that, that I really get excited about now. But yeah, the safety for that is really problematic. Well, you and I were just discussing um, either yesterday or the day before about I was in a conversation where someone counseled me, don't ever say I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, <laughs> and I said, well, I would never say I don't know and walk away, I would say, I don't know, but, uh, you know, if I start to parse this out, here are some things I do know, or here's how I might get started learning more about this, or uh, here's who I might go talk to to learn more. Um, but yeah, just saying I don't know and walk away, that's not an option or probably shouldn't be an option. But yeah, someone just counseled me. It, this person was actually counseling me to just go ahead and talk and sort of make something up. And I definitely disagree with that take. Is it fair oh to say? Oh my! <laughs> is it fair to say that we all work in a complex space? Yes. And is absolutely. it is it possible to know or plan complexity perfectly? No. <laughs> and so, in in the agile space and working with companies who proclaim to want to be agile, I don't know, but here's an experiment we can try. Has to be an okay answer. Right. But, you know, so we know that, but I promise you that I definitely work with people who have worked in software for a long time and, and kind of don't grok that. Um, they, the, and this is actually was a part of our, our ongoing discussion about learning because the notion that teams need to learn on the job is is still foreign. It, it's still a, a foreign idea. The fact even that you can have a team that has worked, let's say, let's say they've worked uh, on building out and supporting an application for years. And the fact that that team still has more to learn when they build new things or when they integrate with another app, that there's any learning to be done. That is not a shared understanding of what that team is working through. So that's a place right there, I think, that we could use some work in the workplace of just understanding that learning has to occur every day. You're going to uncover something you didn't know. Some point during the day, you're going to uncover something you didn't know at the start of the day. Um, Yeah. And so then what do you do with it? It's the and it's the it's that mindset that powers 
powers hiring where we hire someone for a specific technology skill, let's say. They've been coding in Java for two years. When we go hire Java developers, we still are surprised to learn that they have more to learn when they get into our environment and into our context. And then we can't just plug them in and have them run, be be a little Java coding machine. Have them hit the ground running. Exactly. Like that's Be productive on the first day. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So So, that, I mean, that requires people to ignore their own experience. Right. right. It it requires. That's the perplexing part to me, right? (laughs) Well, I'm firmly convinced that when people forget about half of what they know about how the world really works when they get into their office. I mean, we all know at home that if if we're doing seven home repair projects or seven craft projects at the same time, None of them is going to get done very fast, but somehow people forget that when they get into work, you know, and we all know that people need to rest, but we forget that when we get into work, you know, so, so there's all sorts of stuff that, um, that doesn't exist within that system, right? All sorts of awarenesses that, um, don't it, 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 I don't know that they're impossible, but they seem difficult within that system. And part of it, I think, has to do with the still dominant metaphor of, of machine. You know, right. Faye, you talked about just plugging people in. I mean, it's machine parts don't need to learn, right? So why would why would people? Right. Very fair. So, what are the resources that the two of you turn to when you're trying to figure out? Uh, interesting ways to learn um, concepts and, I- and ideas around learning, or even when you're trying to come up with ways to to help leaders and organizations that you're working with uh, kind of see that light bulb moment around learning. What, what, what have you done to kind of provoke that or, or resources that you've kind of slid under the door, things like that? Hmm. I do that. I slide articles under the door. I don't know if the two of you do that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I do, I do um, experiments. So, well, let's just try something, and the thought process there can help. Sometimes I do thought experiments. So, well, let's just think about this. What if, and try on some ideas. Um, I try reasoning by analogy to access the, the sorts of um, knowledge that people have you know, in real life, but somehow forget it, the job. Um, yeah, so that's part of it that I do, you know, in small ways and in interactions. Yeah, I think especially that last one is good because, as you said, we're all aware of it. There are these influence. We're aware we can't work on multiple things at once successfully. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we're aware that you don't just pick up someone and, and drop them into a new setting and have them function like a Lego that's been plugged in properly. Mm-hmm. We know that, but we forget about it. So how can we remind people of that sort of gently? <laughs> if you're talking more tangible resources, I guess, I'm, I don't know. I'm a big reader, so I try to pass along books, but I know that not everybody reads the whole book. They might read the the end notes or whatever <laughs> they might yeah. read the, the flaps 
So a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the um, stuff about learning is pretty, um, you know, academic, mm-hmm. and and not particularly accessible. I, I think that I actually think Carol Dweck's book Mindset is um, can be super helpful. Right, and it I I feel it's a rather quick read. Yeah, so. it's a rather it's a rather qu- quick read, and if that's too long, you can always look at Linda Rising's keynote from several years ago. Right. Um, because that that also addresses the whole idea about how how limiting it is to to have the idea that well if I don't get something it means I'm not smart right to have that mindset that you know if I'm a smart person I would get this and it comes out of a certain way of being um, interacted with when you're little generally speaking right so that I think that's a useful resource and um, and for people who don't have time to listen or read that there's, there's a, she has a great Ted talk as well around that study um, and around those concepts. Oh, so yeah, Ted, yeah. The Ted talks are another one or, or yeah. podcasts conveniently. Um, you can often share those with people. Oh, there, there's another one that I just thought of um, and I'm not going to remember her name. I could look it up and send it to you for the notes, but it's, um, um, it's. I think the title is "Being Wrong." Yes. Adventures I'm, in Error. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's a very good one. Yeah, and it's about you know people. Most people don't walk around thinking, "Oh, you know, I'm wrong about this belief I have," but we all are wrong about various <laughs> beliefs. So, so what happens? How do we how do we move into another set of beliefs? How does that? process happen so that yeah that's another great resource yeah that's funny isn't it everything we we say at the time we think is right and it's only later through reflection or or correction that we have the opportunity (laughs) to believe that we're wrong and um, but people people often don't give those things up um easily right until they have a whole different set of beliefs to kind of latch on to so how do you how do you incrementally build up that different set of beliefs so, yeah, and we even have biases that actually make us believe that we believed those things all along. So we have a built-in, <laughs> yeah, we have a built-in mechanism that uh, that Aren't we wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it all it, everything yeah. goes back to that um, our lizard brain protecting us from something that might harm us, and that's why a lot of times in those moments, you know, when it's it's two people. Um, sharing their conflicting mindsets that we refuse to budge. Like we know what we know and that's it. And it's later on, as you said, that we have built, we built another um, model that we're comfortable moving toward. But yeah, we have a, we have a bias that will lead us to believe that that's what we thought all along. And we didn't actually change our minds. We just have now uncovered the nuances that, that make it okay for us to talk about this other other mindset. Yeah. So, and and sometimes people can 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 make that shift. I mean, I know my my mother was brought up in um, a particular religion, and for various reasons relating to my father, um, took on a different religion. And I remember um, being I don't know I was fairly small. I might have been like ten years old, and we were back in her hometown, and 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 um, and you know, she took me into the church she had grown up in, and and we came out, and she said, I can't 
can't believe I used to believe all these things. <laughs> so sometimes people actually do look yeah. back and say, I can't, can't believe. So. I, I had one of those moments, not necessarily related to religion, but just a, a blog post that I wrote probably five years ago, got tweeted somewhere. Someone was digging through the site and found something they liked and tweeted it out. But I read it and I wasn't happy. Like I mm. read it and I thought, wow, my thoughts have advanced so far past this. And I almost went to rewrite it and someone stopped me. And they said, no, honor the way that you thought before. If it needs updated, do a new blog post, but actually just appreciate the fact that your thinking has changed and mm-hmm. kind of celebrate that. Like, don't be embarrassed yeah. that you had wrong thoughts. Yeah. And so even I get caught in that too, where I'm like, wow, if I, if I just change this blog post, if I update it, no one will ever see that I type something that that's probably not correct. And then it, it finally, that the person was right. I mean, it's, yeah, five years ago, I had this weird thought about Scrum. And I'm glad the person found the article useful, but now I need to go and write an update because my thinking has changed. That's the more interesting article, how your thoughts have changed and progressed over the years. And it's modeling that behavior of allowing yourself to fail and learn something new and move on. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things I think about differently now than I did 10 or 15 years ago. You know, and then there's the things I look at that I wrote 15 years ago and say, oh, we're still struggling with that. Oh, <laughs> that, oh well, keep trying. Like, <laughs> when you showed me that article uh, a couple weeks ago, I said, I said that to you like, oh, thank you, this is perfect. However, I'm disheartened that you wrote this seven years ago. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, well. Takes a long time to change things. Until they change really fast. Okay. Sometimes that happens. You work on the little things and suddenly, poof, everything shifts. Right. So what I- and, you know, and, and that's a good way. I That's another uh, good point to bring up is that everything shifts. Because I was thinking, too, when you're describing your art class scenario, the other factor in that is that you were a willing participant in that. You signed yeah. up for that and paid for that with your own money and yep. drove a long way to get here. And how often are we talking about people who um, want to learn or they've been told to learn something new yeah. and they're not there necessarily willingly? Yeah. And that's a different that's a different mindset. So then when they encounter something that when they encounter the English words that no longer make sense then they're an entirely different mindset. Yeah, yeah. And and even having made that choice myself, there was a moment when it was like, you know, if I could, I'd just go home. <laughs> but I hadn't driven, so I couldn't. <laughs> you know, my, and fortunately, I was there with a friend of mine, and fortunately our moments were at a different cycle. So when she was at a moment of saying, you know, if I could go home, I would. It was like, no, 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 we're staying. And when I was in that state, yeah. So that's another thing, having someone to learn with as a support system. Yeah, I definitely think the people around you, it makes a world of difference. Even, um, and I I shouldn't talk about this, but even our Agile for Humans Slack channel. And so again, dear listeners, we would love to have you there, but we will not sell access. We will not take bribes. we We will not be bullied. But if you're on the show, you get to join. So that's, that's the cost of admission. But what I have found is even a lot of support from that group trying mm-hmm. to, when we try new things, if we have posts that we're unsure about, if we have experiments to think about. Um, and it's just that the people you surround yourself with, I think, are so enabling. 
they can, they can either make or break your whole life and career that um, I'm very grateful to have, you know, people like the two of you around uh, to bounce ideas off of, to talk to, to vent oh, likewise. to. And it, I think it's made all the difference in my ability to be more um, conscious of the, nece- the necessity to learn. Um, part of it, too, is you don't know what you don't know. Right. I think I've, I've told this story a few times where, you know, I showed up to a coach camp many years ago and uh, I thought I knew something. And I said a few weird things and Don actually pulled me to the side. He's like, Ryan, I like you. I think you probably have some talent, but I need you to be quiet here for a minute and listen. And uh, it was a great talk. Like I needed to hear that. I think he might have said it a little more diplomatically, but the message was, wow, the message was you're, you're liked. You don't have to be insecure, but you need to listen for a little bit. And uh, he was right. And it, it was through that that I was able to kind of just chill out a bit, sit back and listen and learn and, and, and try new things. And it was very powerful. And I really, step one of the learning, I think, is at least step zero. If we, uh, let's do a sprint zero on learning, right? Um, have good people around you that, that encourage and lift up and, and help. And from there, I think for the, the moral of Esther's story, one of the morals I'm taking from it and one that I fully believe in is try something different. You know, I was telling Esther and Faye before the show, like I try to pick up a different skill every year. There's just something weird. Like right now, it's slide a hand with decks of cards. So I've bought some old like books from the 50s about magic um, or slights with cards. And I'm trying to pick up a few tricks, work on some dexterity, keep the mind sharp. Last year, I had a, a huge focus on chess. I'm trying to get very skilled at that game. Um, you know, each year for the past few years has been trying to try something different that makes me uncomfortable just because I want to have that beginner mind, right? Yeah. I think it's why I like training so much too is because when I'm in a scrum class and I'm teaching, I get these questions that don't necessarily occur to me anymore, but then I get to think about those things in, a, in the beginner mind mm-hmm. again. I think getting connected back to that is just so important. Yeah, I mean, and I, 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 again, it comes back to that empathy of the... Um, understanding what it's like to to be a beginner, and uh, in many cases we're working with people who have you know they have years of experience in in their current domain, but they're shifting. So how do we how do we retain the empathy for that? And I think that's yeah. I, I love kind of tying the a bow on this with empathy. I think that's the right place to leave it as. Um, we're curious, we have empathy, no judgment, and just really see how that plays out. And so I, I definitely want to be respectful of, of your time here, and I know we're coming up on our time box. And so I think it's time to transition into the part of the show where it's, it's really your, your platform. And so Esther, we'll, I think we'll start with you. What do you have coming up? What would you like to promote? How can the listeners stay in contact with you? How can they? I know I, I, I will recommend the newsletter. I get a ton out of Esther's newsletter. I put a link in the show notes. If you're not subscribed to it, subscribe to it. You get some articles from her periodically that are great. But maybe she'll write one soon. Maybe, hopefully. Maybe. But no, I've gotten a lot of value out of it, so I'll plug that one and put a link to the show notes. But anything else, Esther, that you have going on? Um. Well. I, uh, I'm also doing an, another new thing, which is I am learning about doing online courses. Oh, nice. 
and I, uh, as my as my um, first thing, I decided that I would do something that I'm quite familiar with, um, and just concentrate on learning the platform and how to how to make material interesting and lively in this sort of online framework. So I'm putting together an online class on retrospectives. Awesome. And how to do an effective retrospective. Because I know people people are exposed to it in, in scrum classes. I know you've talked to me about what you do in yours. But, yep. you know, you've got so much to cover, you can't go into it in depth. So this, is, this class is aimed at people who have been exposed to um, a retrospective, the idea of a retrospective, or maybe have been doing retrospectives for a while, but um, want them to be more effective. So I'm going to be launching that in probably at the end of July. That's what I'm aiming for now. And when I'm ready to launch it, I'll send you the link and a little discount coupon for Agile for Human listeners. I hope you come back on the show and tell us all about it, Esther. Oh, I'd be happy to do that too. That is super exciting. I will, uh, I, I, I am looking forward to seeing that. That's just a, of course your book, uh, is the, the Bible of retrospectives and to see some online content is just going to be a, I think an awesome follow-up. So thanks for sharing that. Oh, I hope so. And we'll get a uh, website, Twitter handle, all that in the show notes yeah. in case people want to um, ask some follow-up questions. Hey, how about you? What do you have coming up? Yeah. Um, I think at the end of July, I want to say July 27th, um, I'll be at Cincinnati Day of Agile talking about cultivating space for learning um, and also talking about kind of rethinking or reevaluating the metrics you might be using with your team with uh, one of my Cardinal Solutions partners, Chuck Huseman. Nice. So we're going to be talking about that there. Um, great conference. If you are in the area, uh, it's just one day and a great group of people organizing that. Um, and then after that, I'll be at Agile 2018. Me too. Woohoo. <laughs> Big party. Nice. But, yeah. And I do want to do a plug for someone else's book. You're, Ryan, you talk about trying a new skill every year. Um, there's a great book out there by a neuroscientist named Wendy Suzuki called Healthy Brain, Happy Life. And um, she tells the, kind of her story about how she sort of learned to be happy with herself by, stop, by, by stopping setting these unrealistic standards for mm. herself and stop beating herself up in her self-talk, but um, she recommends lots of exercises for retraining your brain. And many of them are just around that, like um, exercising your brain by trying things you've never tried before. And she even gives almost like what I consider micro exercises, like mm. every day, listen to a song from a genre that you never would listen otherwise listen to and listen to it closely and listen to the lyrics and the, and the rhythms, things like that. So she gives lots of little uh, tidbits like that of things you could try. That's awesome. I'll get that in the show notes. And uh, so one more thing I want to add yeah. to the show notes, because um, uh, we've talked about safety and empathy and learning a lot. We cannot leave without uh, mentioning Amy Edmondson and her work on safety and learning. So I she will, has done great. I'll send you I'll send you a link to the research paper. Very cool. Yeah, I, I hope people got a lot out of this. It's um, This is kind of a meta type of episode, right? It's learning how to learn or learning about learning. But it's something that, I, as, especially moving from 
traditional management or project management or development. And well, development, I think, along with being an agilist, you're just a lifelong learner. And if you're not you learning, you're, yeah, it's essential. Like you're either learning or you're getting behind. And so I, I hope people really listen in on this and, and pull a few good ideas out um, about how to just continue that passion for learning, how to empower others to learn, and how to be a good partner in other, someone else's learning. I think that's important too. How do we partner up and, and help other people grow? Because I have found the most satisfaction in partnering with people, mentoring, pairing, trying to help others grow and, and learn and change. And, and I, th- I have found that at the end, I've changed as well. And so I think that's... Uh, mm-hmm. That's a really rewarding uh, path to go down. But as for me, I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. I have too much coming up. Um, doing a ton of scrum.org <laughs> courses. Again, uh, many of the listeners might know I'm a, a trainer now. If you're interested, reach out. Can love to talk about that stuff. Um, I'll be speaking at uh, Indie Project Con here coming up in September. So I'll be down in Indianapolis speaking at that event. I've got a, a Q&A coming up in Louisville, Kentucky on July 12th. I'll be down with the Derby City Agile user group, uh, taking their questions and trying to help them with what's, uh, what's causing them trouble. Um, Techwell Agile Plus DevOps East 2018, uh, first week in November, um, and just bouncing all over the country talking Scrum and, and helping teams grow. So a lot of good stuff going on there. And uh, as always, RyanRipley.com, at RyanRipley on Twitter. Hit me up. Happy to talk about these things. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I get a lot of listeners who connect and then ask a lot of questions. And I, I love, uh, actually, I, I do enjoy spending part of my lunch hour just sitting down and, and checking out uh, LinkedIn and Twitter and answering questions. I do actually enjoy it. So if you, you want to talk about the show or anything that comes up, please feel free. Um, but other than that, just thanks to the listeners. I, we've gone on a little mm-hmm. bit of a hiatus here. But even with kind of slowing down the cadence of the show for a bit, this download numbers keep going up. It's pretty amazing. And get a lot of messages from people who have started at the beginning and now they're they're at episode 95 or 96 now and uh they're like hey when's the next one and i love that enthusiasm i love the fact that people are sharing the show so just thank you i want to make sure that I, I show that gratitude because without the listeners we don't get to do this and it's just it's really awesome that you're all out there uh we are at the end of the show though and uh esther faye thank you so much for talking about learning i hope people got a lot out of this i certainly did Definitely some good ideas and reinforce some thoughts that, uh, that I was perhaps not sure about. So thank you for that. And again, listeners, thank you so much. And I think I'm just going to say, everyone have a great night. Thanks for listening to Agile for Humans. Let's keep the conversation going. Drop us a question on Twitter at Agile for Humans or visit agileforhumans.com. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and Scrum on.